Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. I'm guessing your paper lives at best as a hard copy or maybe you'll no longer have a copy at all. In lieu of a proper reading, turning your podcast into an academic conference sure to turn off even your most sympathetic readers. Do you care to give us at least the cliff notes on your thesis? It was terrible. I was, I was an English major. I had an hour left before a paper was due. And I just thought I could, you know, I could be cooler than everybody else and write about a song. I was stupid. So I you, was you stupid. were playing cards all night. I am. Uh, Jim. <laughs> I was stupid. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. All right, we're going to get to the sports today. Don't worry about it. We're going to also have Buster Olney on today. We're going to have Pat Forty on today. I'm going to, I watched all the games. I'm going to get to these things. But I'm going to start with something near and dear to my heart. The, I hope, death and destruction of people at Cigna. I hope they go down the drain on this. <laughs> and one more time, what does that stand for? It stands for calculated indifference gives no aid. I guess they took that literally. Yes. Cigna, there's a story in an independent publication. Is it a publication or just a website? ProPublica. It's a nonprofit, independent, investigative journalism website. They posted a story on Cigna a few days ago. So, uh, uh, five, six people sent this to me. We got several thousand Very emails happy from the set. Thank you, everyone. The, uh, the article is about how Cigna uses an... Uh, this, is from, this is from Jeff Kenyon. He, right, he's writing this. The article is about how Cigna uses an algorithm called PXDX to automatically reject billing claims without any of its doctors ever having to look at the claim. Given what happened to you, I'm sure you will read the story I did that he linked at the end of this email with great interest. While you probably won't read the whole article aloud to your listeners, I won't. I feel these two paragraphs best summarize the piece. This is from Jeff Kenyon in Huma or Homa, Louisiana. The company, Cigna, has built a system that allows its doctors to instantly reject a claim on medical grounds without opening the patient file, <laughs> leaving people with unexpected bills according to corporate documents and interviews with former Cigna officials. Over a period of two months last year, Cigna doctors denied over 300,000 requests for payments using this method. Listen to the next part. Spending an average of 1.2 seconds on each case, the documents show. Just long enough to say expired. That's just long enough. 1.2 seconds. Medical directors do not see any patient records or put their medical judgment to use, said former company employees familiar with the system. Instead, a computer does the work. A Cigna algorithm flags mismatches between diagnoses and what the company considers acceptable tests and procedures for these ailments. Company doctors then sign off on the denials in batches, according to interviews with former employees who spoke on condition of anonymity. We literally click and submit, one former Cigna doctor said. It takes all of 10 seconds to do 50 at a time. Okay, so here's what should happen. First of all, everyone in positions of authority at Cigna should be fired immediately. Every single person should be fired. Every single doctor who's picking up a check from Cigna for having an expert opinion on whether or not something is an allowable claim should be fired immediately. They should go on their permanent records. They should be probably barred from being doctors anywhere in the country. They probably should be. And companies like the Walt Disney Company, for which I work, should read this and say, well, we can't affiliate with this company. They're not giving people a fair shake. We cannot affiliate with this company. It's very simple. 18 million people. It's, it's very simple. Mm. I mean, I have a back which requires an MRI. I don't get them every week. And they said, no, no, expired, expired. <laughs> they said, no, they didn't even look. 
at the recommendation. They didn't even look. It takes too much time. No, they didn't do it because you, you got to get out to the first tee. <laughs> you know? you got to get out and play. Yeah. You got to go buy a new car. It's Cigna. It's in ProPublica. Just yes. read it. Yes. I read it. So the invisible piece that you're then missing is the ramifications that you see on the medical field, the doctors you're dealing with who have to spend more and more time trying to send these claims back in That's and what explain they do. to their patients. I had to have my doctor call personally, mm-hmm. which is called a peer-to-peer conversation. And so he calls a doctor that works for Cigna. And that doctor is upset because now, oh, now I got to talk to somebody? <laughs> I rejected this bozo a yeah, while straight ago. Straight to voicemail. Now I have to talk? Right. You know, and that's why I get things from Signet saying, you know, I'm your representative. I've called you. You haven't called me. I've called you four times. Then I call back and I get no answer ever. Calculated indifference gives no aid. They should not be a company. Right? They should be disbanded. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not the only one who feels this way. <laughs> there have been a lot of op-ed pieces in, in recent weeks and months about the same thing. I don't, have, I don't have the op-ed form of the Washington Post or the New York Times. I got this. This is what I got. Use the platform you have. That's what I've got. Yeah. Let's, start, let's go to the game. Wilbon sent me a text this morning. Wilbon's not on the show today because he's on his way to Arizona. And he said, I loved every game that I watched, but I have no interest at all in the Final Four. No, because he has interest in the NBA. He wants the Final <laughs> Four to stop. And so we can talk about the fascinating subplots of the NBA, which is fine. <clears throat> I will say this. I watched all the games. I loved them. Well, I didn't watch the Connecticut games. They were on too late. I didn't watch those. And they rolled. They, they steamrolled people. They did. They're the favorite right now, Connecticut. Yes. There's no question about that. But the other three games that were on this weekend, I watched them. Um, they all had things to recommend them. I hated the ending of the Creighton game. Yeah. You can't end it on a nonsense foul like that after Creighton just made one of the greatest inbound steals and baskets ever to tie the game. It's just a bad way to end the game. I applaud Miami. Miami was down 13 points in the second half. They played tough man-to-man defense. They got back into the game against a higher-seeded team, Texas, a team that I thought could win this thing, a team that I watched destroy Kansas by 15-19 and a couple of times. Good for Miami. Miami played great. Miami won the game. And good for Jim Laranega, who has now taken two preposterous long shots, George Mason and Miami, particularly George Mason, to the Final Four. Good for him. I know. Jim Laranega. I know that other coaches – have taken multiple teams not to the like, Not teams four. like this. Two teams that had never no. been before. And that never was... going again. Yeah. No. Yeah. Not, L- not Liz like... was trying to explain to the boys just the, the breadth of time between these two events happening, and that puts it in perspective. It just, it's yeah. remarkable. Good yes. for Laranega. Good yes. for him. And what was the game? Uh, the Kansas State game. I thought Marquise Noel should have taken the last shot. Now, I'm pretty sure he missed the last two shots he took before that. But he passed the ball, and the kid couldn't get a shot off. You know, this is what happened the other night where a kid against Kansas State couldn't get a shot off at the last part. And so Kansas State ends up losing to, to Florida Atlantic. I have to tell you this. Five years ago, I never, I guess I heard of it five years ago because Lane Kiffin became their football coach for an hour. That's right. And did very well. Yeah. And talked about Owl Nation and couldn't wait to get out. Took the first job, <laughs> first plane, train, bus that was available to him. But here's what I love most, and I, 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 let me say this first. Florida Atlantic and San Diego State are actually in the Final Four. This is probably, and we will ask Pat Forty this, the highest aggregate total of seeds ever in the Final Four. It's 23. Numbers add up to 23. Can't believe this has ever happened before. Numbers adding up to 23. 
a five, a four, a nine, and a five. That means that the best the committee thought, the best that the committee thought was that Connecticut was 13th best in the country. And it could have been 16th best in the country. It could have been 16th, 21st, 22nd, and 37th, something like that. Could have been, or 36th, something like that. Anyway, I watched with interest. Today is March 28th? 27th. 27th. If you had told me on February 27th, hey, it's a big game tonight. We got San Diego State against Florida Atlantic. You going to watch? I go, no. <laughs> no. No, of course I wouldn't have watched that. Nobody would have watched that. So I understand Wilbon's position. You're getting teams in now that you really don't care about. You haven't followed. Maybe some people followed UConn, a Big East team, a team that had won a few times before. Nobody really followed Miami. Did Miami win the ACC? Maybe they did. Did they win the ACC tournament? I don't think so, but I don't know. No, but they had that injury but it's a, like the it's first a football two school. It's football school, Miami. It's not a basketball school. San Diego State? Florida Atlantic? Are you kidding me? If Nobody got this. Who's winning the bracket? Our uh, brackets have to be over. Unless somebody had Connecticut. Our brackets are I over. I think Spike's got Connecticut, doesn't he? And I've he got, does not have them winning. I've so, got it. Well, he still has a minute. None, got a none of the bigs long. have any teams still in it who, to win the overall tournament. Spike has a little bit of a lead over Carville. Uh, so it looks like he has, a, he has the path. So he has Connecticut getting to the final I think four? he has been the final four. And what does Carville have? Uh, Carville has Houston. He had Houston winning the overall. I'll try and see who he had in the final four. So here's, here's what I said on the PTI show the day before the tournament started. And I know this. I looked at Will Bond through the magic of television. And I said, here's a bet I'll make with you. I'll give you all the number ones and I'll take the field. Because I thought the number ones were not going to get there. Even if they got there. I thought Kansas might get there. I didn't think they were going to win. So I thought Texas would take Kansas out because they killed him before. So I look pretty good on that. Um, I, I will watch. I doubt I'll watch the final. It starts like at 10 at night or something <laughs> like that. But I'll watch as much of it as I can. I just, But it's a reminder that the tournament is a three-week event, yeah. and it's multiple tournaments in terms of what the first two rounds bring you where you want to see upsets, you want to see these close games, and then you're usually happier on this point to see it settle into something that you've seen all winter long. Yes. But now you see... Teams you're you familiar but with. But you think about really how, much, how much access we have to seeing these teams we never would have seen on TV before are, are on multiple times a week. And it's no longer just a one through, you know, mid-60s ranked in, in, in order. You're able to try and predict, let's have some fun matchups in that second or third round. So it's, it's, it's easy to switch them by five places and that could end up changing everything. Everything to this point has been great fun. Now that it is a championship tournament and I don't really care about the teams, I feel like Mike does. But I have this one thing on Mike that makes me so happy. I can't tell you how happy this makes me. The greatest road in America, I-95, runs through three of these teams. <laughs> runs through them. There's no Midwestern team. There's no Chicago connection. None of it. The teams geographically are in the farthest points away in the entire country. San Diego is the southwesternmost point of consequence in the United States of America. Miami is the southeastern most point of consequence in the United States of America. And it's got Florida Atlantic and Boca Raton and Miami in Miami. Stores, Connecticut is not the furthest northeastern part of the country. I would say Boston is. That matters. Boston. Sure. But it's close to Boston. Yeah, and it's on I- I-95. You can 
spit from I-95 and land on three of these schools, Wilbon, eat it. I-95, the greatest north-south road in the United States and Don't America. forget your easy pass. You know. Right. And San Diego State, do I recall, was that where um, Tony Gwynn? Was he a member? Yeah, I think school? so. I think I, I think he went to school there. And I think he was a baseball coach after That's his career right. was over. Yeah, I think you're right. Tony yes. Gwynn. But it's yeah. not a basketball school. No, it's, it's the not. Aztecs. Who knew? I don't know what conference they're in. I don't know the name of the conference Florida Atlantic is in. I don't know it. Florida Atlantic's won 36 games already. I don't know the name of their conference. Is it a one-bid conference? I assume they won the conference tournament. The Sun Belt Conference. They're in the Sun Belt? Yes. Who else is in it? Uh, the Sun Belt. Have we heard of some schools that are in I'm sure we have. Uh, hold on. Let's see. Southern Mississippi in the Sun Belt Conference? Sun Belt Conference. Uh, I hope a team in Arizona's in it. So that I can say to Wilbon, your team stunk. Wilbon, is all, it's, Wilbon only cares about people that go through Chicago or things that go through Chicago. Sorry, I'm, I'm looking at pictures of Steven Strasburg in San Diego State jerseys. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's right. Keep Keep that's right. We're, not, we're not rooting for them. Uh, Southern Miss, Louisiana, Marshall, James Madison, Old Dominion. James Madison's in it. Troy, Old Dominion, okay. South Alabama, Georgia Southern, Appala- Ap- I'm Appalachian sorry, State, uh, ULM. Uh, Texas State. What is ULM? University of Louisiana at Monroe? Yeah, I'm guessing this is it. Ma- I just made that up. I don't even know if I'm saying that correctly. Hopefully I'll have that. You know, correct. is that a one-bid conference? Probably. Yes, I would think so. Yeah. Yes. I-95 run right through this tournament. <laughs> Makes me pretty happy. But um, I will say that, well, that's why we'll have 40 on. Michael, the golf was tremendously disappointing to me in the sense that there was a chance for Rory McIlroy to go head-to-head with Scotty Scheffler, two of the best three, four players in the world, and both gagged. Uh, yes, they both had. They went, both matches uh, went extras. to extras, and you figured their, their strengths would win out. But uh, in some ways, you're looking at uh, Sam Burns, and uh, you're looking at what could be... Cam Young and Sam Burns. Yeah, you're looking at what could be next in terms of an, is... another great wave of players. Cam Young's been in the news because he has a new caddy, and you look at how that's been working out. He's but this the guy is, whose dad is a pro. This is, yes, yeah, uh, New York. This is a tournament that seems to have finally figured out its footing in terms of doing the pod systems so that you guarantee players stay uh, for at least three days, and unfortunately, it's leaving this golf, it's leaving this golf course. Uh, and Did you like Austin Country Club? Did you like it? Look, it's it's misleading because you see the numbers. Rory's made, you know, 14 birdies on the day, but it's it's designed. This is a perfect match play course. Uh, they set it up to see that action. Look at the 18th and what it brought all week. Oh, yeah. Uh, Drivable par four. Yeah. So in, in some ways, it was nice that before the basketball really began in earnest, you got to see these extra hole matches with Sands on the call, which were exciting. Yeah. Uh, but both guys, McElroy and Sheffield, you're just seeing how they're going to use this for Augusta. You, you already saw Rory, what he's trying to do in terms of the driver change and the putter change. And unfortunately, both of those two clubs let him down at the end of those semifinal matches. So definitely made progress with that, but uh, probably still a little short of where he wanted to be. It's a tournament that always looks better than it is in this regard. When you get to the finals, it's uh, Kevin Kisner against, uh, you know, Lee Westwood. You know what I mean? Most of the time. It's just not the final is the least of it usually when you hope it would be the best of it. You would certainly hope that Rory McIlroy and Scotty Scheffler would take each other on for, is it 18 or 36? Used to no, be 36. It used to be 36. It used to go forever. You'd go enough. Like, honestly, it was water torture at one point. I mean, you'd just say, please stop. But that's why the pod structure works, and, yep. it, and it does try and push some of those bigger matches because in the first, once you get to, I think, the round of 16, you start to say, how are those guys playing each other now versus later? But it looks beautiful on TV, and the, the way the lake 
walks around or moves around the holes. It's really cool to see the guys in the boats. One more thing uh, to add, the women's tournament, I don't want to give it short shrift. Very exciting tonight. Maryland, a two seed, goes against South Carolina. The number, the prohibitive number one seed, unbeaten, I think, two straight years. Obviously, we are rooting for Maryland. It's a local yes. school for us. And Caitlin Clark had a 40-point triple-double yeah. in a 40-minute game. You, are you kidding me with this? <laughs> a 40-point triple-double for Iowa. That, that's a... Complete wow. You got to root for her. Yes. You got to root for her. By the way, uh, completely screwed that up. I take, I'm listening to all the little screaming at me right now. Florida Atlantic and Conference USA. Well, why did you get that? You said it was a Sun Belt. I, I looked it up. That, that was what came up, but I obviously died. Conference that USA. Is that a, that's not necessarily a one bid league. Uh, North, Conference USA. North Texas, UAB, Middle Tennessee, Charlotte, Rice, Western Kentucky, FIU, mm-hmm. La Tech, UTEP, and UTSA. So. I'm unfamiliar with some of those schools. Oh, I'm yeah. And Texas San Antonio, UTEP used to be Texas Western. Uh, Yeah, some of these schools have been in. in. They've won games. And that shouldn't be a one bid league. San Diego Conference USA. You just said. You sure you have that right? I I am. San Diego State's in what? Mountain West. Mountain West. No mountains in San Diego. (laughs) It's on the water. Utah State, Boise State, Nevada, San Jose State, New Mexico. Mountain West is where Binghamton is in the golf league. (laughs) The Mountain West. Bit of a bit of a drive for them to play matches. They just want to go. Baseball, Colorado State, Fresno State, Air Force in Wyoming. So that's the Mountain West. Is that a one bid league? That I'm, shouldn't necessarily I'm, be a one bid. I'm All guessing right. it is. Let's get out of here. Buster only when, only when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Pat McGee Band, and this is Pat McGee. This is sent to us by our friend Ronnie Newmeyer. Who writes Ronnie Newmeyer, Chuck and Roxy, episode number 190. Woo, barely cracked the top 20. <laughs> Says, I'm sending you a couple of songs by Pat McGee. He's a well-known name in the D.C. area, having grown up in Northern Virginia. He formed the Pat McGee Band and began releasing records with his original songs in 1995. They'll be recording their 10th album this year. They have toured with James Taylor, the Allman Brothers, Fleetwood Mac, Steve Miller, and The Who. Apparently an easy gig to get if you're a little. <laughs> They've headlined the Filene Center at Wolf Trap seven times. And on Sunday, this coming Sunday, April 2nd and 3 p.m., the Pat McGee Trio will be playing an intimate house concert at Mike Lofgren's Guitar Lounge. Yep, that's Mike Lofgren. Mike is Nils and Tom's younger brother. He's built a first-class home concert experience for 50 in the house. Shares with his wife, Suzanne, in Olney, Maryland. Put on house concerts, pretty good racket. Slow way to meet strangers. This is Pat McGee. This is called Runaway. It plays in Buster Olney. And we, we go to Buster Olney, not, not just for baseball, but for cows. Because Buster <laughs> grew up on a dairy farm in Vermont. And then we got this unbelievable email sometime back, Buster. Maybe you've heard about it. Maybe you haven't. From Dave Schram in Colchester, Vermont. Is that name familiar to you? Oh, yes. Here we go. He is the... <laughs> He is the son of the person who owned the bagel stuff where I worked uh, for a year back in 1984, 1985. I want you to hear this. 
I left for college in the fall of 84. Feeling a little homesick, I called home from the payphone on our dorm floor. I got my mom, who after a cursory, are you okay, explained she couldn't talk because they were barbecuing. Barbecuing, I thought, that's a little unusual. I couldn't recall the last time he barbecued, but okay. Post-Dave life must roll on. I asked to speak to my father, and here's where it gets interesting. My mom replied, he can't come to the phone. He's in the backyard playing wiffle ball with Buster. <laughs> what? He's playing wiffle ball. Probably hadn't played wiffle ball with me in Let's See Forever. And who is Buster? And it goes on and on. It's a tremendous email about, and it's all in good fun, obviously, about how you stole his father from him and you became the son that his father never had. Tell us about the bagel place. You didn't really think you were going to talk about baseball. Tell us about the bagel place and how you got there. Yeah, so at the uh, my folks, uh, growing up on the dairy farm, they didn't have any money. And so after my sophomore year at Vanderbilt, uh, I took a leave of absence because I had to try to figure out a way to uh, pay for my last two years of school. So I went back to Vermont and got a job at the Bagel Stop, which was owned by Jim Schramm. And I became the fastest bagel baker uh, in that state, 125 dozen an hour. Wow. Uh, and I took credit for two, actually, uh, two states, because the, this, the bagel stop was in West Lebanon, New Hampshire, right across the White, right across the White River, and worked there for you know, more than a year. And as I left to go back to Vanderbilt, uh, Jim Schramm gave me the company credit card, filled my gas tank to, uh, to send me back. And so when I'd come back for vacations, I would, uh, you know, go down and, and, and help him out for a day or two at a time. And, yeah, uh, a very good friend. And when I went back to Nashville, uh, after I left uh, Vanderbilt and then came back, uh, a company called the Nashville uh, Bagel Company opened on West End. And I walked into that place, and I said, I'm the only person who's going to walk into your store in Nashville, <laughs> Tennessee, and tell you I've experienced baking bagels. So you need to hire me. So, so I became the fastest bagel baker in the state of Tennessee. How far from your house? What kind of commute was this to the bagel stop? Uh, 25 minutes from, uh, from the farm down to West Lebanon. So that's so my one of the first things I thought of beyond the fact that this is one of the greatest emails that anybody has ever gotten. But one of the first things I thought of was your family owns a dairy farm. Didn't you have milking chores? Didn't you didn't you have something to do on the farm? And your parents have to let you go make bagels. Uh, my, yes, my stepdad. And by that time, uh, my brother, Sam, was 10, 12 years old. So he could kind of fill in that gap. Right. that I left behind so I could go down and make bagels and make money for, you know, an income outside the family. Did you know, do you know the son? Do you know the son that you replaced in the family? Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, you- 100%. David, David is the older of two brothers. The younger brother is Steve Schramm. And, yeah, I, I got to know him. I got to know Steve, played, uh, played wiffle ball with, uh, with, with Jim and with Steve and played basketball with Steve sometimes over at Dartmouth College. It's just an amazing email. I mean, it, 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 it speaks to something on this show that I don't expect you to be conversant with, but the incredible sort of spider web of connections that people have with other people. It's, it's an amazing email. When's the last time you baked a bagel? Oh, goodness. Um, I, I want to say I think the bagel stop uh, probably closed in the, in the mid-'90s, but in the four or five years uh, after... I, I, you know, as I, after I worked at Bagel Stuff, whenever I would come back uh, living in Nashville, then I would go back and, and, uh, and bake bagels. Have you, I mean, you know, 
Have you any desire to open up a bagel joint yourself? Because Joe Lenardi sits for hours and hours and hours <laughs> at New York Bagel, you know, in, in South Jersey. You could have him. He could he could be a greeter for you if you wanted to open <laughs> something up. Well, I, I you know, no, I haven't had the desire. Uh, I, I really enjoyed working. Jim was the greatest boss ever. Uh, but I... I, I, what I, my takeaway was literally in the smell in my clothes every day going home with the smell of bagels just ingrained in my clothes. And I didn't eat bagel, bagels for about 10 years after I left. But I can tell the difference between uh, the stuff that they sell now uh, and the stuff that we made. Jim was, and I believe this to be the case, I think he was from Brooklyn. And, his, and then he moved up to, uh, moved up to New England and, and started that place up there. Is there any magic in making a bagel? Is there a secret thing that you do? Not secret, but is there something that you would say, if you want to make bagels, always remember this? Uh, What he he, uh, told me was the difference between what he was doing and what some of the other bagels Mm -hmm. was how he would boil them. Because we would drop the, we would have wooden trays of bagels and slide them into this vat uh, that was boiling. We would boil them and then put them on boards and then they would circle around. And I don't, I don't have experience enough experience in other places to know sort of where that uh, process is now. But I remember Jim being really proud that that process mirrored what he had uh, had seen growing up. Uh, having grown up with bagels in my life on Long Island, I would not think of New Hampshire as bagel heaven. <laughs> uh, did you build a pretty good clientele? We did. In fact, I, I would go in to bake bagels. Uh, I would leave home at 2 o'clock in the morning, and we would bake on the heaviest days from 3 to 6 in the morning. And then I would run a delivery route, um, which would uh, you know go through Dartmouth and West Lebanon and then all these little towns in Vermont. And we worked it out so that I could, you know, at the end of my delivery, it would take me back to Randolph Center, where I grew up. Um, and then when I was in Nashville... And working at that place, I did a similar thing and delivered the bagels to Vanderbilt. And probably the worst pickup line ever, I can promise you, is going through the breakfast line and then saying to the co-ed who's next to you as you're filling your tray, hey, a couple hours ago, I made that bagel. (laughs) I was just going to say, I know that... I know that some people, some foolish people, go to Nashville to become singers, but to go to learn how to make bagels is, is very good. And, and what you're saying about bagels and not wanting to eat them anymore, when people, I, I remember this for like 30 years, 40 years, hearing this story, when people go to work at Hershey Park, they give them all the chocolate they want. They take all the chocolate you want. Within two days, nobody <laughs> eats chocolate again. They just can't stand it. They don't eat it. So... Uh, that is 100% right. Now, I can, I cinnamon raisin, I, I like a lot. Uh, some of the other ones, I, I just, you know, the poppy seed, I just, I, I just couldn't smell it. I, it, it, uh, it drove me crazy after a while. It's just wonderful. I suppose I should ask you about baseball just for a second. <laughs> but, I, you know, um, I, I am curious about this. Is the, the way the World Baseball Classic ended and the fact that it got Five and a half million people to watch. And I think that was on Fox Sports 1. Um, and that's a lot of people to watch a baseball game on not the biggest network in the world. It's not on regular Fox. And I would imagine that there are competing networks, uh, Spanish language networks, that drew, siphoned away some of that audience. But the way it ended, with Otani striking out Trout, which is magic, does that assure that this thing is going to be with us no matter what 
happens? There's no doubt about it. And it's interesting because when it started, I was really skeptical that it would last because I was hearing from club executives the anger, the frustration that they were essentially borrowing their players yeah. uh, to lending their players Getting them to hurt. WBC. Yeah. Uh, right, exactly. And they were concerned about that. And they're like, wait a second, we're paying these guys and they're off uh, playing on our dime and we don't get the benefit of it. But you know what? Those folks at the team level, and they still exist. The Mets just lost the best closer in the world, Edwin Diaz, to yep. that knee injury during that celebration with Puerto Rico. Those teams better get over themselves because this thing is going forward. It was a terrific event. Uh, and if you're you know, the Player Association, if you're Major League Baseball, which co-owned the event, this was an absolute dream-come-true scenario. I mean, my God, last week, Connor McDavid, one of the best hockey players in the world, was citing – uh, the WBC and that head-to-head matchup of Otani and Mike Trout as being something that hockey should strive for. When's the last time you heard anybody in any other sport say that baseball was something that we should strive for and how baseball marketed itself? It was potentially a turning point and I think a great launch into this uh, you know pivotal season for baseball with all these new rules. So, I, I mean, I don't want to affiliate myself completely with ownership but I understand that. I mean, it's the same way everybody says that the Masson contract is terrible for the Nats. It's a terrible TV contract for the Nats. But Baltimore lost 25% of its market when the Nats opened up, Buster. You know what I'm saying? You had to give them something. Um, if you're an owner and you lost Edwin Diaz and you lost Jose Altuve and you're angry about this, this is not an insignificant loss, right? I mean, you have to have some sympathy for them. Totally. And no. I think this is a case where, you know, everybody can be right. You know? Yeah. Uh, ma- the Player Association, Major, Major League Baseball, can be right in wanting to, for the WBC to go forward. But at the team level, the individual 30 teams in Major League Baseball, all of these guys, like, their jobs are on the line. You know, their job is to win or lose during the course of the regular season. And now the Mets have, as I mentioned, the, the greatest closer in baseball. Edwin Diaz last year struck out half of the batters he faced, and now they have to go forward and find other closers and try to win a really competitive National League East without him. And I you know, made the point that uh, you know, all the teams, with all these contracts that players sign, they uh, will have clauses where you can't go skydiving. You can't go, uh, you know, motor. You can't ride a motorcycle. You can't bake bagels and risk burning your hands. All this, all this language in these contracts, because they don't want these players hurt in non-workplace injuries. Well, from the team perspective, an injury in the WBC is an injury outside of their workplace. So you can understand why the Astros are furious that Jose Altuve is going to be out eight to ten weeks because he suffered a broken hand in the WBC. You can understand why the Mets would be upset about losing Edwin Diaz. Sure, sure. Pleasure to have you on. You're a good sport for not talking so much about baseball. (laughs) Next time we'll actually talk about baseball. Thank you, Buster. Thanks, Tony. Buster only, boys and girls. We'll take a break. Pat Forty will join us when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. 
Learn more at marines.com. You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is Pat McGee. This is a song called Rebecca. And this Sunday, April 2nd at 3 p.m., the Pat McGee Trio will be playing an intimate house concert at Mike Lofgren's Guitar Lounge. That's in Olney, Maryland. You can get tickets at eventbrite.com. Type in Pat McGee in the search and the show should come up. The ticket includes a pre-show reception and some light food. It's a whole deal. Sounds lovely, doesn't it? It's a whole deal. That's very, very nice. Our thanks to Ronnie Newmeyer for sending these things. Michael, if people like Pat McGee want to send in their original music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at TonyCornizerShow.com. I want to know more about this light food. Light food, (laughs) yeah. Past hors d'oeuvres, what are you talking? (laughs) Light food. Maybe we'll all go. Uh, Pat Forty joins us now, and everybody would start with this. This is your job. This has to be the total of 23, which is if you add all the seeds together, you get 23. This has to be the highest aggregate ever, right? 2011 actually was a little bit higher because we had, I believe it was number nine, uh, Butler and number 11 VCU both oh. in there. But but there also were teams that people had heard of in, the, in that Final Four as well. So uh, in terms of having, we've never had a Final Four without a one, two, or three seed. This is a first. Um, people saw this coming this year. They did, right? We all talked about this all the time. Not, not to this extent, but I certainly remember going on television and saying to Wilbon, I'll give you all the number ones and I'll take the field. I mean, I just didn't think, I didn't think that there was any team out there that you would say, yeah, I'm with them. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. This is, while it's like shocking to look at, yeah, if you were watching in this season, you could see it coming because uh, people have been saying since November, well, there's really no great teams. Uh, no powerhouses, uh, nobody that ever looked unbeatable. And, you know, we, we went through a, a rotation of teams at number one. Everybody kept losing. We had no undefeated teams by January 2nd. So this was a tournament that was set up to go this way. It's still surprising when you see it happening. Yeah. And to think that either Florida Atlantic or San Diego State's going to final. play for the national championship yeah. uh, is pretty wild. But... This is the indicative of the season, absolutely. It's been chaos all year. I had heard of Florida Atlantic a few years back when Lane Kiffin was the football coach, but I had no idea it was even a four-year school. I mean, I don't know anything about it. Were you, are you, were you familiar with it going into this thing? Uh, vaguely a little bit, because Dusty May, the coach, had a very good reputation. You know, uh, yeah. He had been an assistant coach at uh, Florida, and people thought highly of him. Heck, he was a manager under Bobby Knight Bobby in Knight. Indiana back, you know, yeah. in the late 90s. Uh, so, I, you know, I was a little bit aware of them, but I, I didn't. they didn't get on my radar till they beat Florida in December, and they started like 13-0, and I'm like, what the heck is this? And it's like, oh, yeah, this is a Boca Raton school. Uh, yeah. They're good at beach volleyball. I mean, <laughs> they don't really <laughs> register on the basketball radar at all. They've won 36 games this year. Yeah. It's, you got to be pretty good to win those games. You're not playing Binghamton all the time. I mean, you're in a real conference. So the other thing, and UConn is rolling people. And I imagine that what happened to Gonzaga is sort of what happened to Tennessee, that they got tired after they beat Duke. And I think Gonzaga probably gave everything it had 
to beat UCLA in a game that should have been in a later stage of the tournament, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I you know I think that this is the second time in the last three tournaments that uh, basically. Gonzaga shot everything against UCLA. Yeah. Remember, yeah. you know, that Final Four classic, yeah. and then they had nothing left for Baylor. Uh, I think this was a similar situation where, you know, th- this was not a great Gonzaga team. This is this is the, the weakest one they've had in the last several years. It was Drew Timmy and a bunch of guys, whereas before they had Drew Timmy in a lottery pick, whether it was Chet Holmgren or Jalen Suggs. So this was probably as far as Gonzaga realistically should have gotten but then they just they absolutely got steamrolled by a UConn team that's playing awfully well. I've got to ask you this about UConn. I heard this statistic the other day that they have now defeated. Their non-conference record is 16-0, and and every single one of those games is by more than 10 points or more. If that's true, is Danny Hurley that good? He's pretty darn good. He really is, you know. And, I mean, you can kind of see this coming for a while. He was really good at... Uh, Rhode Island, and he got the job at UConn. It was a good hire. He made them more, you know, consistently respectable. They couldn't get out of the first round for a couple years, and I think that's when people kind of almost forgot about UConn, and then they started this season, and yeah, it was like, whoa, get a load of these guys. You know, I mean, they they blew out some good teams, and uh, they, you know, the, the Big East's a good league. They were kind of up and down for a while in that, and then once they pieced it back together, uh, they've got everything. They got size. They have some NBA talent. They've got shooters. Uh, I mean, that that is a complete team. It just took them a while, I think, to to put it back together after that really hot start, and then you know, suffering some of the uh, ups and downs of league play. You would make them the favorite at the moment, by far. Okay, absolutely prohibitive, but. As we've been saying, maybe nobody should be a prohibitive favorite in this tournament. So let me get to this, because you, you were at, you covered in Louisville, the San Diego State-Creighton game, which is a really good grind game. And if Creighton's big guy were quicker, they'd have won by 15 to 20 points. He's just not particularly quick, and that happens. And he's not as strong as the kid from Purdue, so he can't throw the ball down the way he should. But that happens. But I hated the ending, Pat. I hated the ending, they make this unbelievable steal to tie the game, and then they call what we used to call a ticky-tack foul. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, that was it was really shocking, like sitting at courtside. It was one of those moments. It was a great pregnant pause moment in sports, you know, whether it's a, a, a long pass, a long shot, a, a potential home run ball. Everybody kind of holds their breath when Darian Trammell puts up that shot. And all of a sudden, you hear this whistle. It's like, what? Yeah. It called a foul? And by letter of the law, it was a foul. It was, you know, he wrapped his hand around his hip to a degree and kind of pushed him in the lower back. Nudged him. Boy, yeah, tough, tough, tough time and tough place to call that. And Greg McDermott was just screaming at Lee Castle, the official who called it, you know, that's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. And it it was kind of hard to believe. Uh, So... You know, you hated to see that game, as you said, a good grind game. Yeah. To see it come down to a a soft foul that really nobody actually even saw happen until you got a chance to look at the replay. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand. I understand the defense of the foul call. I understand that you make the same call with one second to go that you make, you know, in the first minute of the game. It's a bad call, though. It's a bad call. You know, I mean, it's just a very 
unsatisfying ending. I don't even think that the people who won the game, San Diego State, could feel happy about the way it happened. Well, I think they were pretty happy. Yeah. <laughs> just Especially after having, as you alluded to, I mean, having just this catastrophic turnover oh. up two to throw the ball under their own basket <laughs> directly to Creighton. That was... That was a mind blower, but that was it was it was a very college basketball ending to the game between the turnover, the foul call, miss the first free throw, make the second free throw, go to the monitor for a half an hour on the final play. Yeah, you know this is this is kind of what the sport is, but but it was very dramatic and very exciting. And look, we get we get San Diego State going to the Final Four for the first time with in a program that's been really good for like twenty years. So they were they were due for a bit of a breakthrough. Okay, the next game was really a good game. The Miami game, uh, Miami-Texas game, was really good. Huge comeback by Miami. Man-to-man defense the whole way, really, right? I mean, that was, that was a big-time game. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought, I mean, I was super impressed Miami came back. I thought Texas had that thing under control. Yes. You know, a really veteran group that I, I was very surprised to see could be shaken enough to, to give up that lead. But Miami, they just keep coming, and they've got – athletes and they've got bangers and you know they made shots made plays and uh you know jim laranega heck of a coach it's age at the sprightly age of 73 back to the final four for the first time in 17 years he has now taken two unbelievable long shots to the final four in george mason of miami they've never been there before and they may never get there again what do we make of laranega at this point i think he's a hall of fame coach do you? you know, I, I really do. I, like you said, these, these aren't the kind of jobs you take thinking, yeah, I'm going to the Final Four. Right. It's not North Carolina, Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, or anything even remotely like that, either place. Now, Miami, you, you absolutely can get players, uh, especially in NIL, the NIL baby. era. Yeah. yeah Life Wallets team uh, putting it together here. And, you know, they've got, they've got a big-time backcourt. They've got a very good post player. and and Jordan Miller, who made literally everything he shot from the field or from the free throw line yesterday. I mean, they've got they've got guys, and and that will I think be a high level semifinal between them and UConn. Do you think at this point? I mean, I got a note from Wilbon this morning saying, "Look, I loved everything to this point, but I'm not really interested in the Final Four. And I share that to some degree. I'm not really, you know, it's not Duke and Kansas and Carolina that we've come to expect, or even Gonzaga that you've come to expect to be there. Do you think the ratings will be down? Yeah, I think they'll be bad. <laughs> I do. And yeah. I, you know, that's, that's just the way it is. It, always the formula for the NCAA tournament to succeed, you know, from a rating standpoint, has been upsets early, blue bloods late. Yeah. And instead we've had upsets the whole way. And even, you know, these are good teams, as you said. I mean, yeah. Florida Atlantis won 36 games. Uh, San Diego State's won 30-plus. I mean, they're, they're good teams, but it's just nobody's familiar with them, and, and they don't have a star. I mean, the leading scorer for San Diego State averages 12.5 points a game. The leading scorer for FAU averages 13.9. Miami people, oh, yeah, you see them a little bit on, you know, Big Monday playing against Duke or Carolina, but it's not a school that people are familiar with. UConn does have a big basketball following, but it's been a few years yes. since they've been prominent. So yes. there's not a lot for casual fans to grab onto. That sometimes happens. I, you know, I, I still think it's going to be a very fun Final Four, but there's going to be a lot of people that are just going to say, eh, I don't feel like it. I was, I'm totally underrated UConn because they went through a stretch 
in conference. They lost six out of eight games. They were ranked two in the country at one point, and they lost six out of eight games. I said, well, so what? With it? You know what I mean? I, I don't. There's not yeah. a single player. There's no Caitlin Clark in this deal. There isn't. No, there's not. There's not. I mean, Adama Sonogo is a really good player. Mm-hmm. He's not. He's not that super flashy player like right. Caitlin Clark. Right. You know, who's just going to throw dazzling passes and make long shots and all that sort of thing. But you know, they they don't have that on this team. But they are good, man. I mean, they do everything well, uh, and I I think they will be fun for people to watch. I, you know, because they're. There, some of Jim Calhoun's teams were just kind of big and physical and, and pounded on you. That's not really this UConn team. They they can they can pound you some, but they also they they throw the ball up high for alley oops. They make a lot of shots. They they don't mind running. So they'll be a fun watch. Okie dokie. Plug your podcast for us, Pat. We'll do College Football Inquirer with Dan Wetzel and Ross Dellinger. Uh, we will be taping later today. As I both always said. If we are, if your podcast is number one, we're one A, and we're happy to share that top spot with you. <laughs> Wonderful, thank you, Pat. Pat Forty, boys and girls, we will come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news interviews or coverage of all the biggest stories in the nba our new show is the place to be five days a week download and follow beyond the arc on apple podcasts spotify and wherever you get your favorite podcasts you're listening to the tony kornheiser show It's so peaceful and wet. Yes. Somebody throw us a towel. So peaceful and wet. Jeremy's in. It's, it's descending into the shark tank, Baltimore yes. Aquarium. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, you want to do, it's a bagel day. Why don't you do It is a bagel day. Not the Buster only bagels, but we got the bagels from Bethesda Bagels. We've got the bagel sandwiches and hot bagels. Hot bagels. None, of, the, none of those poppy seed bagels. None of the poppy seed bagels. <laughs> that Buster doesn't want. <laughs> not anymore. Not anymore. All you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you, then pop one in, and you will be thrilled. All right, before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, Mr. Kroger, two C's, two D's, and an F. That's a 1.2 grade average. Congratulations, Kroger. You're at the top of the Delta Pledge class. Mr. Dorfman. Hello. 0.2. <laughs> Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. <laughs> Mr. Hoover, president of Delta House, 1.6, four season and F. Fine example, you said Daniel Simpson Day has no grade point <laughs> average. All courses incomplete. Mr. Blutarski, 0.0. I think that's Senator Blutarski, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, from Maryland. Thanks to our guests today, Buster <laughs> Olney and Pat Forty. Thanks to our sponsors, Simply Safe and Game Time. 
Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Now, we don't do birthdays. No. It's not something that we do. No. So, I mean, if we did do birthdays, we would wish Rocky Rakovic a birthday last Friday. Yeah. If we did, but we don't do that. But we don't. You know, we don't do that. And if we did... We would wish Steve the Sycophant a birthday last Thursday. Yeah, but we don't do that sort of thing. We don't do that, but we want to, you know, we just don't do that. But speaking of Steve Sycophant, he writes, I was shocked, shocked listening to last Monday's show and hearing nothing about March 20th being the vernal equinox. As you well know, this means the northern and southern hemispheres are receiving the same amount of sunlight. It's the first day of spring in the northern hemisphere and the first day of autumn in the southern. The word equinox comes from the Latin equus, meaning equal, and nox, meaning night. To be disgustingly precise, I must note that the day and night are not exactly equal at the equinox, as there is about eight minutes more daytime in mid-temperate latitudes since the sun is a disk, not a point, and atmospheric refraction must also be taken into account. Still, March 20th does remain the first day of spring for us and the start of the Nationals' race for the cellar. Steve the Sycophant says, P.S., I could also explain atmospheric refraction, but why not leave a little mystery in life? Sure. I didn't mention this. It's one of the few times I didn't mention this because I thought people had gotten sick of me doing this. <laughs> but I will say that today was sunrise where I live at 7.01. Yeah. The and, earliest. And 6.59 tomorrow. So we are now at that point where there is enough light to walk the dog That's good. in the mornings and the evenings. You don't enough have to wear your vest. I don't have to wear my refractive. Is that what that's called? Reflective? Reflective, yes. Yeah. I don't have to wear that vest anymore. Construction worker vest. Yeah. And I'm not a Latin scholar, but I thought equus was horse. Horse, but ec... Oh, equus, maybe? Is we talking about? Equus. Equus? With an A and an E. Oh, with an A, okay. Jay Moulton, Chuck and Roxy episode, TBD. I was listening to your show last Monday. I heard Michael's comments all? about the Live Golf Tour. <laughs> I live in Tucson, and while I was curious to attend the event, I could not wrap myself around the fact that they just don't seem to have very big-name players in their prime. Outside of DJ and Cam Smith, I think it's a bunch of washed-up old men on a money grab. And let's face it, Tony, if I want to watch washed-up old men on a money grab, I can just watch PTI every night. <laughs> Do you want to answer that? Do you... No, I, I think that's the problem with the with the entire conceit. But at the same time, I'd, I grew up watching Phil. I'd be interested to see him. Uh, and you have to remember, even that name won one of the most important men's majors of all time two years ago. That's right. The oldest living major But I, again, after full swing, I think people want to see what a broken-down Brooks Koepka yeah. looks like in person. From Brandon Borzelli in Lebanon, New Jersey, sure, we saw glimpses of greatness over the years, but really, what would have separated him from Kip, the weather guy, or Gary Big Time Braun, or even Tatalia, the pimp? He was just another two-bitten muscle brought in when Harry needed help with the urine specimens, hanging around with his chip friend, Reginald. He was just a soldier, a schnook like everybody else, but no. No, he wasn't destined for an ordinary life, a life of being a button man, a bag man, a trigger man. No, it was this day, on this day, that we found out that Nigel, the Brit, was more than muscle. Today we come to find out Nigel is a godfather. <laughs> Nigel is the godfather. The Don. Salute, godfather. Like From Barry Mikey? Is that how it's B-R-M-E-I-K-L-E? Michael? Barry Michael? Rhymes with treacle. Barry Meikle in Guelph, Ontario. Barry Meikle. Are we still doing coincidences? If so, I have one I think you'll enjoy. While I understand people's reactions to their own coincidences often illustrate human underestimation of probability. I think mine stands out due to its intercontinental nature. In late 1999, as a young chef in Edinburgh, Scotland, I was looking to get a job in Toronto so I could gain a one-year work visa for entry into Canada. 
As this was perfectly rational behavior in the fledgling internet days, a friend in Toronto was mailing me newspaper clippings from the job section of the Toronto Star to the UK. Of course, by the time they got to me a week later and I called the number listed, the job was filled. After a few weeks of this, I tried a different tactic, and I went to the Toronto Star website's job section. The first job that stood out was for a line cook, so I called the number and I asked for Rob. When Rob picked up, he asked me if I could come in for an interview. I explained that wasn't so easy as I lived 3,000 miles away. I noted his accent. He was an expat Scot, originally from East Kilbride near Glasgow, and had been in Canada for around 15 years. I thought this was interesting enough. But Rob explained that he had just returned to work a week or so earlier after being on vacation in Scotland visiting family. After I told him I lived in Edinburgh, he said that he'd spent a few days there and he'd eaten out a couple of times. When I asked him where, he said he didn't remember, but he would check his credit card receipts and let me know. After agreeing to help me with the job situation and the visa, we spoke again a week or so later. He mentioned that during his visit, he had eaten in a restaurant in Edinburgh called Café Rouge. Hey, that's where I work, I said. After cross-referencing the details of his visit and what he had eaten with my shifts over that week, it turned out that not only had I been working that shift, but that I had actually cooked his meal. This led Rob to say, well, I guess you passed the interview. I got the job and the visa, and I had a fantastic year in downtown Toronto working for Rob. Almost 25 years later, I still smile and shake my head in disbelief every time I think of this story. That's fantastic. Barry Michael. Or Barry Meikle in Guelph in Ontario. What do you order? <laughs> That's true, yeah. From Justin Johnson you know in Arlington, Virginia. Nice. I think it's always okay to approach a strange woman and her child in a parking lot <laughs> as long as you start the conversation by announcing, I'm not a pervert. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me, ma'am, I'm not a pervert. I'd like to ask you about the rivy. i ask you about that. With your mask half over your face. <laughs> From John Jarbo in Charlotte Hall, Maryland. Let me thank you for all the joy you provided me and my family throughout my entire adult life via print, television, radio, and of course, podcast. More importantly, please add me to the growing list of listeners who have benefited from the healing powers of the TK Pod. While visiting my son and his wife in Annapolis recently to celebrate the St. Patrick's Day Parade, what started out as a seemingly innocent case of indigestion quickly morphed into serious abdominal pain that resulted in an ambulance ride, major surgery, and a week and a half hospital stay. Of course, my deepest thanks go first to Anne Arundel Medical Center for their outstanding care during this ordeal. I would be remiss, however, not to offer my gratitude to you and your cohorts for the soothing balm that the podcast provided to my spirits as I struggled to navigate the dark hours of this ordeal. Who knew that inquisitive musings about defecatory behavior or the suspense of bracket picks could transport my mind away from the day's troubles better than any painkiller? Thankfully, I'm home and on the mend, my only near setback occurring when Greg Garcia's bracket shtick nearly caused me to blow a few staples. <laughs> Give my best to Michael, Nigel, Chessie, and Edith. Stay golden. Isn't that nice? It's lovely. Isn't that a lovely thing? And there's a, uh, um, a, a picture that is enclosed. It's very nice. You know, coming face-to-face with Mike Rizzo and Dan Coco and F.P. Santangelo. And one more. And I think this is going to be worth the wait. From Danny Fersh in Northeast D.C. After years of resisting, my father Rob finally became a loyal little last year and now listens to your show regularly. In honor of his 73rd birthday, here's a story you might enjoy. In the early 90s, my dad came up with an idea for an annual weekend retreat with other families at our synagogue to a local sleepaway camp every Memorial Day weekend. The tradition became known as family camp and involved three days and nights of fun, games, prayer, bonding, and campfires. For the first few years of family camp, the adults hired a few 20-somethings to organize activities with the kids. One of these 20-somethings was known as Big Eric, a tall goofball with boundless energy who told hilarious campfire stories and could organize the greatest capture-the-flag games this side of Camp Kiyuma. 
Big Eric stopped coming to family camp after a few years, and we all wondered what became of him until about a decade later, when we saw his face on the cover of the Washington Post magazine under the headline, The Great Zucchini. <laughs> we were stunned. It was the ultimate David Aldridge moment. Oh, Fast great. forward another 17 years, and The Great Zucchini has now performed for my father's grandchildren while family camp is still going strong. I'm not sure any one part of the story reaches one in a million odds, but combined, it felt worth sharing. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. Okay, we wound up 5 and 11. 11 not, not very good. good. Uh, well, but not there the was worst. some worse than us. I guess that's one <laughs> positive way to look at it. We weren't the worst team in the league.
This is your pilot speaking. You're about to land. Come to understand.